I saw people I knew. It was awesome. And just so you know, we, my wife and I took our kids, our younger kids, to uh, eastern Montana, went to Glendive for the Creation Museum experience. And I introduced myself, Brent Dodge. Yeah, we're from Revive. And like 20 people said, we're from Remnant. I'm like, I met the whole gang, parents and, <laughs> and youth. What a bunch of amazing young people you have. Um, just so appreciative of the time we were able to spend over there just over a week ago. Pretty phenomenal. Uh, Ian mentioned we're going to be in Mark 9. You can turn to Mark 9 if you'd like. Um, I've got to figure out how this clicker works. There we go. We'll be in Mark chapter 9. But I want to say I am honored to be here to uh, fill a slot that's needed right now to give Ian a little uh, breathing room. And I, I just feel great and feel honored to be here and blessed to be here and blessed by you and blessed to be able to serve the body of Christ this way. So I'm super happy to be here and preach it. So yeah, today I'm going to be preaching a transformational message uh, from Mark 9, obviously. And it may be there's just a few areas, you know, as we try to take on the attributes of Jesus and to become more like him, maybe there's a couple areas that this lesson will hit home with. And I really want to just jump into the word right now from Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. We'll talk about that big word here in just a little bit. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. I see some of you guys out there that love doing laundry. Yeah, you, we'll talk about that too. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. What are they talking about? Well, Old Testament characters come to have a conversation with Jesus. I'm anxious to see what they were talking about. And Peter, of course, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So Peter, James, and John, what an opportunity to spend the day with Jesus, to hang out and hike, to go up on the mountain, and then to watch and see Jesus transfigured in, in front of them, bring, bringing the brightness and glory of God into their presence. They would have had a lot to talk about when they made their way back down that mountain, back to Galilee that evening. Kind of like you'd experience if you were on a mountain and you were right in the middle of a lightning storm and the hair on your arm stands on end and you discovered just how fast you can run a 100-yard dash. Your nervous system would be supercharged, just as the disciples were. For as the story unfolds, they saw Jesus more clearly, and they listened to him more intently. 
Now, just for a point of reference, I don't know if this map's going to show it all, but we've got the Sea of Galilee in the north, and to its west, that little arrow is pointing at Mount Tabor, which is generally agreed upon as the site of the transfiguration. You've got the Jordan River running 65 miles as the crow flies south of Galilee to the Dead Sea with Jerusalem just to the west. I don't know if you can see that on there, but Jerusalem's just to the west of uh, the Dead Sea, right at the top of the Dead Sea. And so you have this kind of north and south. You've got Galilee and Jerusalem that we'll be talking about to give you some reference. But before moving to Missoula 23 years ago, my family and I, we lived in Portland. And it was a time in life I didn't want to spend money on a gym membership. So I'm like, I just need to find a mountain to run up and down a couple times a week. And I found one. You want to guess its name? Mount Tabor. Not the one, obviously, in the Bible. They're different. One's just west of the Sea of Galilee. The other one's just south of I-5, I-84, sorry, I-84 in Portland. The one in Israel rises 1,930 feet. The one in Portland's about 900 and, I'm sorry, 636 feet. And so my goal, I just sprint all the way up the face of that thing. They have these steps, and I try to take two at a time. Get to the top, and then there was this kind of loop all the way back where I'd catch my breath on the way home. Took about 20 minutes for a round trip. Well, at one point in my life, I was uh, wrestling with a major life decision. I was stressed out. I needed insight, and I knew right then and there it was time for a trip to the top of Tabor. And so I put on my Walkman with a cassette. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and when I hit the on button, it was Dr. Dobson talking. It was about a 20-minute tape on the topic that I was struggling with. And so I made that run, and I, I sprinted as hard as I could. And when I got home after 20 minutes, that cassette stopped. And in those 20 minutes... My entire perspective solidified and produced a chain of events with a major and sustained positive impact on my family and me. And just so you know, it was on the idea of whether we'd homeschool or not. And we ended up homeschooling. We got 25, 24. They went all the way through. We're right in the throes of our 14-year-olds, and it is fantastic. But God had a plan for us, and he helped me when I went to the top of the mountain. I could see more clearly having been up to the summit. Changed my perspective. My thinking had been completely transformed. Well, something similar happened in Mark 9 with the disciples when Jesus took uh, Peter, James, and John to the top of Mount Tabor there by the Sea of Galilee. They were engulfed in God's presence, and they were changed. When their senses went on high alert, allowing them to see God's glory and to hear his voice. See with certainty, Mark chapter 9, verses 1 and the first half of 2. Here we have Jesus telling the crowd, look, there's some of you standing here that aren't even going to die before you see the kingdom of God come with power. And they're standing there, and he's telling them that. And then it just says after that, after six days, he took with them Peter, James, and John up a high mountain to pray. So in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have this, 
this verse about this kingdom coming with power on, and right on its heels, the transfiguration account. What is it about that? The fact that it would always introduce with this kingdom. It's really not so much about establishing the kingdom in this case. It's more about the context of the transfiguration because the word kingdom here actually means royal splendor, which is apt for what happened on that mountain when they saw Jesus as he really was in the ensuing transfiguration. It's also notable that about a week before the transfiguration, if you go back into Mark chapter 8, the latter part of the chapter, verse 27, Jesus had asked two questions of his disciples. Who do you say that I am? You're John the Baptist, Elisha, or one of the prophets. And for a deeper dive, he asked, who do you say that I am? Not just what the people are saying, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter, there he is. You are the Christ, as he answers, meaning not merely a God to know of or about, but the God who seeks deep connection with us, not just knowing of or about him, but knowing him and being known by him personally and intimately, and likewise that we would be known by him personally and intimately. So this transfiguration brings additional clarity to the reality of Jesus when he'd asked that question, who do you say that I am? And because these guys were with him, they could answer even more definitively, you are the Christ. So let's talk next about the pivot point. This is Mark chapter 9, the second half of verse 2. The Bible says, and he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. The transfiguration marks a clear pivot point between what Jesus had been doing in the north around the Sea of Galilee, a very successful mission and ministry, and now he's turning to face the south, as we looked on the map, down toward Jerusalem. It's an absolute pivot point. Up to this point, there had been minimal opposition in the north where you didn't have so many pure Jews, right? But now he's looking to the south, and it's no wonder his disciples were resistant, latter part of chapter 8, when Jesus talked of shifting his ministry to the south. They thought it would be suicidal. Well, he was welcomed, of course, with opposition, and he bid adieu later on the cross. And the transfiguration marks this ministry shift, this pivotal shift. Luke said it this way. He said that Jesus set his face to the south. He set his face to Jerusalem. And Isaiah, years before, said that Jesus set his face like flint, meaning unwavering determination. Jesus looked at and sought after and pursued his destiny, and it's inaugurated right here at the Transfiguration. Verse 3, keep my clicker going. We're in Mark 9, 3 now, and it's at this point during this thing, this transfiguration, that Jesus' clothes become bright white. They're, they're, they're bleached like no one else could bleach them. And I know some of you with that look in your face, you were thinking about that Consumer Report article about OxyClean versus, you know, Clorox, right? Well, this year, they're having Oxy Jesus, so be aware. 
You got some good stuff. Not, nobody could bleach it like that. And that's what happened. Jesus was transfigured into something radiant, dazzling, bright. The transfiguration is a word that signifies a complete change of appearance into a, a more beautiful or spiritual state. It gave the disciples a full glimpse of his real glory, his heavenly glory, and brought further clarity to that question, who do you say that I am? And so whereas Jesus was transfigured, we are called to be transformed. I mentioned this was going to be a transformational message, but both terms derive from the Greek word meaning metamorphosis. You may remember that from science class, when a butterfly comes out of its chrysalis we mustn't witness the transfiguration and walk away untouched, unchanged. Do you believe you can change? You say, hey, I'm just a regular person. I tried that once. It didn't work. Well, it's not a suggestion. This concept of transformation is not a suggestion. When Paul talked about it, we'll look at Mark, uh, Romans 12 too. He didn't say, if you feel like it, it was a command. And, and this idea of a suggestion reminds me of my three trips to China to adopt each of our daughters, 26, 25, and, and now 14, when they were teeny, teeny. And I learned something about driving in China that maybe I shouldn't have learned, that red lights and stoplights are merely traffic suggestions. Okay, so we got that point under belt. Let's look at Romans 12, verse 2, the first part, where Paul says that it's really not a suggestion, it's a command. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Interestingly, this word here for transformed is our word for metamorphosis, that same word from Mark chapter 9, when we looked at transfiguration and transformation. Well, how do you become transformed? That's the question I kept seeking and asking God. How do you do it? Well, he says, it's in the word right there. Don't be conformed to the world. In other words, don't be influenced by the world's standards. Don't, don't go and try to learn the world's ways. Don't be a student of the world. Rather, be transformed. This idea of metamorphosis as when that, uh, that caterpillar creates this chrysalis, we learned, all the youth that I thought would be sitting right here, they're not here supporting me, we learned that inside that chrysalis, that caterpillar turns into jelly. And then it becomes this beautiful butterfly. We need to be transformed we need to undergo a metamorphosis where we become like jelly, where God can move us and squeeze us, even when it's uncomfortable, to get, get to be that transformed individual, and then to renew our minds. God, how do I do that? And he, he prompted me, and I felt God was saying, it's time that you took the word of God seriously, Brent, Number one, and quit listening to the lies that you hear every day. Quit, quit growing into a worry wart because of what you hear. Rather, take on a biblical perspective. Amen. amen. That's what I said. I said, amen, God. I said, I really, really want to be transformed. Do you? 
Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to deepen that connection with Jesus? I know I do. Well, then let's go up with him on the mountain. Let's hang out, listen to him, and heed his word. Bask in brilliance, Mark 9, 4 through 6. While they're up there and there's this huge cloud, this thick cloud of God's presence surrounding them, Moses and Elijah show up. And they're talking with Jesus. Do you know what they were talking about? They were talking about Jesus' mission to and his imminent death in Jerusalem. They're talking about the pivot shift. They're talking about this shift in the ministry that's inaugurated at the transfiguration. And of course, there's Peter. We often chide Peter for some of his off-the-wall comments, right? But we need to cut him a little slack here. I mean, the fact was, Mark says they were terrified. Didn't even know what to say. They were terrified. But I think what what, uh, Peter said was important. Basically, he said this. Hey, guys, this is amazing. We're, We're engulfed in God's presence. Isn't it amazing? The radiance, the dazzling, the brilliance. Hang on. I'm going to head down to Sportsman's. They got a sale on those big wall tents. The ones with the, you know, the, the stoves in them, I'm going to grab that couple of those and an axe, and I'm going to come back. Well, when you build tents, you're pretty much saying, let's stay a while. Peter wanted to stay a while. He got it. Who would want to leave the glory of God? Who would want to leave the presence of God? Like the other night, there were several of us here. <laughs> I ran into a bunch of you <laughs> at the Sean Foyt uh, let us worship night. It was phenomenal. I didn't know what to expect, but it turned out to be a mini revival. And in the midst of it, I mean, arms are up, hearts are laid open, knees being worn down at the altar, and people praying over each other. And doggone, if there wasn't a guy on my left shoulder praying over me, praying his heart out for me, I recognized him when I walk in. I said, were you at the Sean Foyt thing? He's like, yeah. I said, you were praying over me, Bruce. Yeah, that was amazing. That's something I didn't want to leave. I wanted to bask in the presence of God. I didn't want to leave. Peter didn't want to leave. He would have stayed at the Sean Foyt thing too. (laughs) Listen intently. This is from Mark chapter 9, verse 7. God's voice thundered from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now you think about a couple of big moments in Jesus' life. One was baptism right before he began his public ministry. And the other, the transfiguration when he sets his face like flint to the south, to Jerusalem. And both were thunderously accompanied by God's sky-ripping declaration, this is my son, listen to him. The thundering voice, I don't know about you, but sends chills up my spine. You have a verse like that, your favorite verse that just brings chills up your spine? This could be one of them for sure. But apparently the disciples that were there, they got more than just a chill up their spine. For in Matthew's account, we find that when the voice boomed, they were face down on the ground. Forerunners of the true face plant, if you will. And in verse 8, we're going to see that the disciples, when they came to, there was no one there but Jesus. Jesus only. No Moses, no Elijah. 
Moses representing, of course, the great lawgiver, Elisha, the prophet. Boom, they're gone. Listen to Jesus. Who are we listening to? <clears throat> Excuse me. Are we listening to the law and hearing that voice that says, well, you kind of deserve some grace today because you did this, that, or the other. That is not what we're after here. We're after Jesus' voice. We're not here to get self-righteous. We're here to get Jesus righteous. Amen? Or are we listening to current-day prophets that, you know, we bend our ear to them, but we're not bending our will to Jesus? Let's be careful who we're listening to. And when we do, we hear his affirmations. Listen to him. You are my chosen treasure. I've forgiven you. I'm holding you in the grip of grace. I love you tenderly. You are holy in my sight. Let's take time to listen more intently, eh? Back to base. We've been on the mountain. It's time to go back down, right? Well, suddenly the disciples look around. There's nobody there but Jesus only. We talked about that. And from there, they go back down the mountain. Remember Peter, he was the one that wanted to stay. He wanted to bask in brilliance with building tents. He wanted to stay a while. But Peter also knew that there was a time where you got to leave. You got to go back down the mountain. You got to go back down to base. And so at some point, Peter treks back down the mountain. And he, he later says this. I get my arrows messed up. He later says this in, in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 17, recalling that account. I kind of paraphrase this, okay? Bear with me. It says, you can't make this stuff up. How do I know? Because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We heard the thundering voice from heaven, for we were with him on Mount Tabor. We were eyewitnesses. And so when we take in the Mount of Transfiguration, this type of spiritual event, some other spiritual high point like the Sean Foyt uh, worship night, we must eventually come back down the mountain, back down to base. And whereas Peter was an eyewitness on the mountain, it's our time to be eyewitnesses in the valley. You got to come back down. And kind of like what happened fairly recently at the Asbury Revival, as you may recall, these people were absorbed in the presence and glory of God. They didn't want to leave. They were in the midst of it. They didn't want to go, yet at some point, they had to get back to base. I watched a lot of videos that were going on. One of them was a, another eyewitness that had walked in on the, on the revival, and he says, from the first moment, I could feel and see the thickness of the glory cloud of the Lord. I just wanted to stay there in the glory. But God said, it's not just for you to bask in it. His response, love it. He said, I just can't stay on the mountain. I got to take this back to the bus, the plane, my church, my city. I need to take it everywhere. He'd been an eyewitness of God's glory and presence. Now it was time to head back to base and be an eye 
witness. Got to head back to base and tell him what you've seen. Just thinking about what Peter had talked about. He's like, I'm not making this stuff up. This stuff, if you go back to the context, this is not a clever myth. This happened. We heard the voice. We saw the radiance. We were there. We, we were the eyewitnesses confirming the word of God and making the word of God what it is as we know it, the actual word of God. We saw it. We were eyewitnesses. Now, as we wrap up, just a, a few things I want to point out. They said I had an hour today. I just thought maybe I'll just do like a half, you know? But anyway, the disciples were engulfed in God's presence and glory on the mountain. It dazzled their senses, enabling them to see Jesus more clearly and to listen to him more intently. Where are you on this journey? Are you seeing Jesus for who he really is? Are you listening to him? When he asked, who do you say I am? What's your response? Are you able to answer with certainty, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the God that I want to know personally and intimately, and likewise to be known by you personally and intimately. I'm seeing you more clearly. My nervous system has been supercharged to see more with certainty and to hear, and I can listen more intently to what you're saying. As Peter said, it's time in that context, it's time to pay attention, his words, to the word. Why? Because it's not a myth. It's confirmed by eyewitnesses, Peter being one of them. I did mention, I think I got to click. I think I did mention <laughs> my uh, epic trip up Mount Tabor in Portland, that 20-minute run that changed everything in my life. It transformed my thinking. And I'm wondering perhaps if it's time for you to go up the mountain, to connect on a deeper level with Jesus. And you may be doing that. There may be just, like I said, maybe there's an area or two. I think we can all look at our lives and maybe pick out an area or two where I really want to be transformed. There's a couple things holding me back. I believe the word of God. I trust Peter's eyewitness view and account. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to get inside this chrysalis and I'm going to become jelly-like. I'm going to become gooey for God. I'm going to let God smush me, and it's not going to be comfortable. He's going to squeeze me. He's going to change me. But I want to come out metamorphosed. I want to come out transformed into a beautiful, godly butterfly. I want to metamorphose. I don't want to be hard and stuck in my ways. I don't want to be Mr. Ego and have it my way. I want to be malleable I want to be squeezed I want to be moved God move me move me to be like you Jesus let's be transformed let's take on that biblical perspective 
in closing, I mentioned that I was struggling with this. Like, I know I've got areas that need to be transformed. How do I do that, Lord? Well, obviously, don't be conformed. Peter or Paul makes that clear. Don't be conformed, okay? Don't go to school to learn the world's ways. Don't be influenced by the world's standards. God telling and prompting me, let's get a biblical perspective. Let's listen to him. And let's take that word and go, okay, this is the word of God. We're not mincing things. We're, we're not like limping between two opinions, Elisha once said. He said, no, choose you this day, right? You gotta choose. Let's pick it. Let's do it. Let's decide. Do you realize what it means to decide? That's a gnarly word. Yeah, it means to slay, to kill, to cut off something else. Side, decide. Sound familiar? Like pesticide? Oh, I'd love to slay you termite, whatever, pesticide, homicide, suicide. Making a decision is a big deal. When you decide, you're slaying something else. You're slaying less noble alternatives. Let's make a decision. Let's not limp around wondering if God is God or not. Let's, let's make that decision today if you haven't already. And if you're waffling a little bit, just come back to the word. Pay attention like, like, like Peter talked about. Let's get in the chrysalis. Let's get gooey for God. We can't come to transfiguration and walk away untouched, unchanged. Do you want to change? Others, do you want to want to change? Let's be goo for God. He can help. He can help us overcome. There's times where it's like, I'm just, I've got a little bit of a shield up. I don't want to kind of let it down. I haven't completely made that decision. I need to decide. I need to slay away from that kind of armor, that bad stuff, and get rid of the alternatives that are holding me back. And I've had some sins like that. It's like, I know God, I know you're real, but I really like this sin. It took a decision. It took deciding and slaying away that as an alternative and saying, no, I'm, I'm choosing God. I'm choosing God. In closing, who do you say that I am? I wonder this morning if you may have heard something that is signaling your desire for a deeper walk with Jesus Maybe there's that one or two areas that you really want to decide about to become more like him. Or perhaps you just need insight and direction like I did when I took my trip to Tabor. I needed direction and insight. I went to the mountain. Perhaps the mountain, sounds like a t-shirt, is calling you, right? Remember that? Anyway, we are a brother Brothers and sisters here, we're here for each other. And I just so much appreciate you inviting me here. And, and I, uh, I just feel so blessed to have been here. But we're here for each other. If there's something that we could help unlock, something that we could pray into on your behalf, we're here for that. I don't know how it works at the end of this thing. I'm about ready to boogie around the corner. <laughs> but I'm sure there must be somebody, if you do need to come forward, we're going to have some people here to pray.
We're going to pray into this thing. Will you decide if you haven't already? And if you have, let's be that transformative goo for the person next to us. Let's help each other, man. We've got to transform. We want to be a transformed church. And I can tell you the fact you're here, you're transformed people. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, brother. What a powerful message for all of us, right? As he said, if there's something that uh, you'd like prayer for, if there's a decision that you need to make today, whatever that is, I want to encourage you to come forward and we'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. We'll pray into whatever situation it is. Uh, We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nothing that should keep us in bondage because there's freedom in the Lord. And when you encounter the true presence of the Lord, you cannot come away not being changed. So I want to encourage you to come forward, and uh, we'll pray for you. But God bless you. Thank you for being here. Have a great week.